0: This week's reading for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Which from you? intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, goes, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Shortly before I started recording this video, I did a thing that I do just about every day, especially when it's nice out this time of year. I walked over to the the post office to pick up the mail, both for the church as well as for my family, my, our, our house, uh, our, our regular family mail. All, it all comes together. Now, it's not far. If you're not familiar with Underwood and where the church is in comparison with with the post office, it's only about, I don't know, four or five blocks. It takes me about six or seven minutes to kind of amble my way over there. It's not a real long walk. But I kind of, I like to do this. I like to get outside. I like to move around just a little bit. And you know what? The fun thing about it, if we stop and think about it, is this mundane action of walking to the post office to get the mail is a little bit of an adventure. I never really thought about this before, but I was thinking about it today as I was, I was kind of on this little walk, as I was doing this little task, that it's a little bit of an adventure. Think about it. When you open that mailbox, just before you open it, you have no idea what you're gonna find in there, do you? None, zero clue. Today, when I opened it up, there was this great big yellow manila envelope that was something for my wife. I have no idea what was in it. There was a couple of bills, yay. There was a, new, a monthly newsletter from a neighboring church, a neighboring congregation that sends them our way. So we got that. And then there was a big catalog and that was it. And it kind of wasn't really very fun. But sometimes when you open up that mailbox, you do get some fun stuff. Maybe you get a card from someone or you get a letter, or you get all kinds of stuff. You never know what's going to show up, do you? Not until you actually open it and encounter what's sitting there in the mailbox that particular day. You have no idea. Now, building from that, I'll be honest, even the walk from here in the church over to the post office could be a little bit of an adventure as well. As I'm walking along, what kind of animals am I going to see? Am I going to see some squirrels? or Are there going to be some rabbits around? Or am I going to see a bird? A neighborhood cat or something, I don't know. As I walk along the highway, there's a highway that goes right along my route. As I walk along there, who's gonna come driving by that I might know? And I'll wave at them. Who am I gonna encounter in that? Am I gonna see someone else walking and sit and have a conversation? I don't know what I'm gonna encounter until the moment happens. Now, I might have an expectation of this is probably what's gonna happen and maybe things will fit that bill and maybe they won't. We just don't know. I want you to take that idea of the unknown, this unknown adventure, whether it's actually adventurous or something as mundane as walking to the post office, take that idea and tuck it in the back of your head. That's what I want you to hold on to as we consider this teaching from Jesus. Now, we hear that there are large crowds that are traveling with Jesus, and this indicates that Jesus himself is already traveling, and this is true. In Luke's gospel, there is a very long portion of the gospel itself, which is known as the travel narrative. It starts in roughly like chapter 8, and it goes on to like chapter 18 or 19, and we're kind of two-thirds of the way through it right now, but this long period of time, Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem, and he is going towards Jerusalem. Now, the events when he gets there, that's what we know is Holy Week. It culminates with his death and his resurrection on Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday, and that's a long way away for us where we're at right now in September, but he was on his way there. Additionally, what was going on when Jesus would get to Jerusalem is the Jewish festival of Passover. So it is possible that there are a couple of different reasons why all of these crowds are traveling with Jesus. It is possible since he and his disciples and his merry band of followers are on their way towards the Passover festival and then everything else that's gonna happen there, it could be that these people are just traveling with them. Or on the flip side, some of them could also be traveling with Jesus because what they have experienced in his ongoing ministry. He has been doing this for a while. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been having encounters with people. He's been performing miracles. He's been butting up against some people who really seem to be in opposition with him. And he's also been encountering some people who seem really happy and really appreciate what he has to say. And because all of this, he's attracting a crowd. And all of this together might be bending into why the people are traveling with him. But regardless of the reasoning, It seems in this exact moment that Jesus kind of stops and he looks out at all these crowds and he begins to ask the question, why are you traveling with me? Why are you following me? Why are you coming along after me? Which, by the way, is the definition of a disciple. That seems to be the question that Jesus is asking. And additionally, it also seems like he is wondering if those people in the crowds, those people who are following him for whatever reason, really understand the depths of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it will be like, what they will encounter, what life is gonna be like, and if they've got a realistic picture of that. Now, I gotta say, Jesus is kind of blunt here, and admittedly, when I read it or when I hear it, I don't like it because it seems very, very, very strange. Consider that. Anyone who doesn't hate their father and mother or their spouse or their kids or their brother or sister, even their own life, cannot be my disciple. Well, that's pretty harsh there, Jesus. Isn't this the same guy who later on is gonna tell his disciples that the world will know you're my disciple because of your love for one another? So what's he talking about hating people for? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. From there, he also talks about all kinds of stuff and he goes into these weird two little like, micro parables, like these two metaphors. And he's talking about things and he's talking about counting the cost. Do you understand the cost of what this is gonna be? Of what this really, really means? And he starts off with this odd thing that almost seems to have to do with construction. Who among you wants to go build a tower? And before you begin to build, will will not first sit down to look and like, do I have the resources to actually accomplish this? Can I actually finish this? No, he says, none of you would ever begin without first doing that. Because you're, otherwise you're gonna go out and you're gonna start to build and you're gonna get like halfway done and you're gonna run out of resources and you're just gonna leave it there. And everybody's gonna be like, look at this guy. He was so foolish. He started to build and couldn't finish. Ha, 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 ha. That's thing number one. Weird, right? Weird. And then he says this other one about what king is gonna go out to war. And he's got a force of 10,000 people and he's going against another king. And he realizes that that other king's got 20,000 people in his army, so a much larger strength of force. And so if he, is he not gonna first sit down and calculate, do I have a way that I can overcome this stronger force? And if not, then while that other king is still far away, I'm gonna send an envoy Envoy, I don't know what that word is. I'm going to send someone on my behalf to go ask for peace so that we don't battle and I don't get killed. He's talking about counting the cost. Isn't it strange? And I found myself scratching my head quite a bit on this, thinking, what are you getting at, Jesus? And he's also given some other teachings at various times that talk about the difficulties of being a disciple and what it really means and how it's so much different than what society would, would dictate is the norm. And a lot of times, Jesus is painting a pretty blunt picture that discipleship might not be all it's cracked up to be. It might not be all grand, and we might not get lovely, glorious things out of it, and we might not just benefit from the fact that we've got this amazing dude that we follow who can do miracles, and everything's going to be glorious. He paints a very realistic picture of the fact that things are going to be messy, sometimes are going to be painful. They might result in broken relationships and unknown hardships, and all kinds of stuff might just happen because you are a follower of God. The more I thought about this, the more it seems at face value that Jesus seems to want all these people to realize this is what things are going to look like, like this poster or this, this portal that you have to go through. And as long as you can check this box and check this box and check this box and check this box, none of which sound real spectacular, then you can walk through that portal and you will be prepared. But is that actually the reality? And does Jesus think that's the reality? Like, as long as you do this and cross these these check marks off, you're fine. No, I think Jesus knows better because I think Jesus knows how messy it is. Think about his first example of a guy going out to build to do construction. I don't know about you, but in my house, HGTV's on quite a bit. My wife likes to like it, or likes to watch it. And every single time there's one of these house remodeling shows on there which are on there constantly have you ever noticed that it almost seems like a pattern, that somewhere in the whole process, they're going to open up a wall or they're going to encounter something that was unexpected ahead of time, and it's going to cost this much to, to, to solve it, and it's unexpected, and no one thought that was coming, and because of this, they have to shift the whole project, and maybe this little piece over here is not going to get done, or this room's not going to get touched, or whatever, but they didn't know that was going to be the case until they actually got into it. I think about the very first time I ever tried to do the slightest little bit of plumbing in my own house. This is going back a long, long way in my history. I was going to change a faucet, which, you know, in hindsight, now that I've done it a few times, it's not that difficult. But that first time, I had no idea what to expect. In addition to the faucet itself that was going to be replaced, I also discovered that I was going to have to replace the, the water lines that come up to the faucet underneath the counter. And so all kinds of issues that I didn't realize until I was actually into it. Now, at this time, this house where I lived was about 15 minutes away from the nearest hardware store. And in the process of trying to change this faucet, which ordinarily is a fairly easy thing to do, I had to make two different trips over to that hardware store, back and forth, back and forth. But I didn't know it until I got into it. Reality, life, posed a different thing that I could not anticipate ahead of time. And our life is also like that. And I think that also applies to what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't necessarily saying, there is this checklist of things that you better be aware of before you become my disciple. And as long as you've paid this cost and paid this cost and paid this cost and paid this cost and this and this and this and this and this this this, then you're good to go. No, I think Jesus is helping us realize that this life, as a follower, as, as one who proclaims the gospel, is going to be countercultural and it's going to be messy and it's going to be unexpected because life is messy and unexpected, isn't it? None of us know what to expect and what we're going to encounter until we encounter it. That's the truth of life. And if there's one truth that I think is revealed within the Bible as a whole, within the scriptures, I think the Bible is honest about the fact that life is messy. And we as people are messy. And then we ask the question of where is God in the midst of all of that? Now, sometimes it feels like God's right there, very present. Sometimes it feels like God's a little bit more distant and everything in between. And I appreciate that about the scriptures because let's face it, that's a big book. There's a lot in there. And it seems like every single thing that we find from it can probably be contradicted by another thing that we also find in it. But it is honest about the reality that life is messy. And so are we. Think about it. Think about yourself Think about everyone that you care about, everyone that surrounds you, and everyone, period. Human beings are amazing, and I don't necessarily mean that positively. Human beings have an incredible, amazing ability to be creative, to put love in the world, to find joy and peace and harmony, to care about one another and the world that we are a part of, and... Every single person, every single individual also has an equally destructive, selfish capability to be, cause p- harm and pain and suffering and put that out into this world as well. Every person has both. And while our intentions may be good, inevitably, the selfish nature we're always eventually going to put ourselves first. This is a reality of the human condition. God calls us good, but also recognizes that we are broken. It's both and, and the scriptures are honest about that. But the gospel tells us that God meets us there, and God claims us as beloved children, making the promise to each and every single one of us that that brokenness that is a part of us and a brokenness that is a part that this world also embodies is not the final chapter. There is more to the grand story and there is more to each one of our stories. That is the promise of the gospel. Think about the other story that Jesus told about that king who's got a force of 10,000, and he's going out to meet a stronger king who has a larger, stronger show of strength. I think this is a good metaphor for us to pay attention to. Every single one of us, when we consider the grand scheme of all things, we might be that first king, and the ultimate other king is God. And it's not just a show of 20,000 to 10,000 It's not just double. God is immeasurably stronger than we are. So knowing that, every single one of us should be seeking peace from that stronger king, from God. But here's where the gospel takes all logic and flips it on its head. Because God has already offered peace to us. That peace is already granted. It is already given before we even realize that we need to look for it. It's already there. And that peace that God has offered to the entire world and to us, all-encompassing, happens through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he is on his way to do. In Jerusalem, That's where he is going. And he wants to be honest with people who are following him, which included his audience then and also us now to understand this is what that means. Life is broken. Life is messy. And it is unexpected. And we don't know what we will encounter. And we don't know what following this path is going to bring to us. Are we prepared for the unexpected and to try our best to follow, knowing we will come up short, but knowing that the promise remains for each one of us and has already been achieved on the cross through the death of, of, of Jesus and ultimately fulfilled through his resurrection, which we are invited to share. in? That's the gospel, folks. And the gospel says it's for you. And the promise is for you, even in the days when it doesn't feel like it. Now, here's the reality of this whole thing. Like we said before, life's messy, so are we. Sometimes things go really well. Sometimes things are messed up. Sometimes maybe it feels like, yes, this whole gospel thing, this whole God is for me, God is on my side. And Jesus has brought peace. For me, it feels like it's right there. And other days, I'm like, I am so crummy and broken. There's no way that that can possibly be for me. It is true then even when it doesn't feel like it. And ultimately, when this reality is done for us as individuals and we meet that unknown day out there in our future, when we cross the threshold from this life into whatever lies on the other side of it, I believe... And I profess the gospel that says that the promise of God which claims you as a beloved child will be true in that moment when it becomes reality for you. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus will achieve. And he asks the simple question, are you prepared to follow? I don't know. What do you think, folks? You want to follow along? Amen.